Well, good morning, everybody. When I heard that Pastor Tim was going to be wearing shorts today, I was considering that as a fashion choice, personally, and then decided not to. These legs are so absolutely magnificent, it would be an unworthy distraction. And everyone said, for various reasons, I believe, yes. And great was the relief thereof, I can sense it. Well... Oh, we're continuing our TripAdvisor series this weekend. The title for the message is Late Checkout. Late Checkout. Anyone know what a late checkout is? You're, you're staying at the hotel. Checkout time is 11 a.m. And you call up reception. You say, I'd, uh, I'd like a late checkout. I want to stay till midnight, if that's possible. <laughs> and they say, yes, no, 50 bucks, whatever. Late checkout. That's what we're thinking about. Judges chapter 16 is the passage of Scripture. Judges 16. One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night. Uh, uh, they made no move during the night, saying at dawn, we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Over the past 14 years, serving as uh, part of the teaching team here at Timberline, I've shared with you many and various examples of my own personal embarrassment and idiotic behavior. Sometimes people ask me, are these stories really true? They really are. These flow from the stunning gift of ineptitude that the Lord has given me. But every now and again, I bump into someone who is even more idiotic than me. No, I hear you cry. It cannot be possible. Well, it did happen. I may have shared the story with you before, but some years ago, I went to a Christian leadership conference and uh, it was filled with high-powered, anointed Christian leaders, and even the name of the conference was somewhat intimidating. Bionic Apostles and Prophets, together for the salvation of the universe by next Tuesday, bless God. And then there was me, and I'm kind of feeling a little intimidated. I went down for breakfast the first morning, and sitting opposite me is a lady, a, a woman, she is a a Christian leader, and you know what I mean when I tell you she looked like woman of God. I said, good morning. I said, my name is Jeff. I thought she would say, yes, I know. <laughs> I'm kind of nervous, so uh, I said, how was your week? 
She said, terrible, horrible. And I kind of, I kind of went, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sympathetic, I'm sorry you've had a rough week. Inside, secretly, I'm thinking, good. <laughs> Woman of God has had a rough week. This cheers me up. She looks fairly normal. So uh, I said, well, tell me about your week. She said, well, I took my family to the car wash. I said, oh, okay. In, again, in, I'm having this internal dialogue. I'm thinking, that's kind of pathetic. It's not exactly a fun family outing, is it? Hey, I've got a token, kids. Let's go out. Anyway, I, I, of course, the true choice for a car wash should be right here at Timberline Church. But uh, she said, I took my family to the car wash. She said, I drove into the car wash, put the token in. I thought, I'll just check, I'll just check the window to make sure. By the way, notice that the window, the driver's window is on the right-hand side, not this side, but on God's side. You know <laughs> so she said, I'll just check the window. And she said, the window fell down all the way inside the door. And now she said, the brushes are spinning, the water's coming out. She said, I am, I'm panicking. And, and, and I, I, I've got my sympathetic face. Inside I'm thinking. So I said, well, what did you do? Expecting woman of God to say, I commanded the window to rise up. She said, well, I looked around the car to see if I could find something to create an airtight seal that would save us from getting drowned. She said, the only thing that would fit was my own rear end. (laughs) Now, I realize it's 10 a.m. Sunday morning, Timberline, there are might be some hyper-religious people here who might be going, (laughs) well, he he just used the term rear end in church. Can't believe it. Shocking. I mean, some Christians, the way they are, you'd think the Christians didn't have rear ends. (laughs) I guess I used to have a rear end and, and then I gave my life to Jesus. And that's all behind me now. No, no, no. Don't. Don't. Stop that. And I wanted to take hold of this woman and hug her and say, Blessed be your name. You are even more idiotic than me. I wanted to say, why didn't you just just reverse out? But then she kind of did, didn't she, really? Idiotic. It is a word that many biblical commentators associate with a man called Samson. Uh, I spent a year writing a book uh, about him and I studied everything I could find. And Christian commentators like to call Samson names. An obstreperous lout. The oversexed muscle man. The noble savage. The trickster, the bandit, an anti-hero, a dead end. But actually, he wasn't called to be idiotic. He was called to be a national leader in a time of crisis. And actually, today, Jews still regard Samson as a hero. Jewish children in schools 
are taught to refer to him as Samson the hero. The Israel's nuclear option for a while was known as the Samson option. He was raised up by God 3,000 years ago in a time of national cultural crisis. Israel was losing her clarity. Something called syncretism was kicking in. She was starting to emulate the culture around her. Rather than influencing the culture, she is being shaped by the culture. Judges chapter 17 says of this period, everyone did as he saw fit. And now, they're living under the judgment of God and therefore without his protection, so they are somewhat at mercy to the uh, tribes and nations that lived around them. But they had particular problems with the Philistines. The, The Philistines, whose most famous champion was a chap called Goliath, the Philistines had five fortified cities on the coastal range of the nation. Excavations have demonstrated that the walls of those cities were ten feet thick. They were terrifying fighters. Samson and his family were raised about a mile and a half from Ekron, one of those Philistine cities. So as a young man, he is raised in the shadow of oppression. And God raised him up to make a difference, but he messed it up terribly. So what can we learn from Samson's story or to quote Mr. Tom Jones, why, 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 Delilah? Thank you for getting there eventually. What can we learn? What can we learn? Number one, if you're following in the bulletin, what can we learn is this. What happens in Gaza doesn't stay in Gaza. What happens in Gaza doesn't stay in Gaza. A life can be blighted by poor choices. Chapter 16, verse 1. One day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. This man was set up by God with everything that was needed for success. He is the only judge in the Old Testament who is described as blessed. His birth, which took place in miraculous circumstances was announced by an angel. Three times it is said of him that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Get this. Miraculous circumstances, angelic announcement, filled with the Spirit. He really should have been a stunning success. But he messed it up. Why? Well, one reason is this. He seemed to think that his actions didn't have any consequences. I've almost wondered if the knowledge of his blessedness made him excessively overconfident, made him feel like he had the silver spoon, everything I touch will turn to gold, it will be okay. Forgetting that our actions have consequences. You've heard the saying, which I borrowed for this message, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It's a lie. It's a lie. You want proof? Ask the guy who lost his savings on the tables. It's a lie. If you want proof, ask the person who contracted a sexually transmitted disease because of the moral choices they made. You cannot 
You cannot create an airtight seal around your behavior. I can't do that. There will be consequences. But all the way through his life, it's like Samson thought, yeah, it's going to be okay. I'll give you an example. When he got married, the, the wedding feast went on for days, and Samson made his guests angry. There was conflict at the wedding reception. So Samson stands up and he gives a bridegroom's speech in which he refers to his wife as a heifer. Right? Then he storms out of his own wedding and doesn't come back for a year. He shows up a year later at his home with the gift of a goat anticipating a romantic evening with his wife. Gentlemen, how many would agree? You storm out of your wedding and you call your bride a heifer. It's not going to be a happy evening. But you see, in every detail of his life, or in many details of his life, he seemed to think that there wouldn't be any consequences. Is it possible that right now, this Sunday morning, 10.40 a.m., some of us just need to stop? And allow the uncomfortable silence to alert us to consequences, implications, fruit, results. Samson didn't seem to do that. Secondly, just do it, the Nike slogan, just do it, is a recipe for disaster. The truth is that boundaries are blessings. Boundaries are blessings. Look at this. He got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. If you look at Samson's story, the whole narrative shows us that Samson always, he's an escapologist. He's always trying to get out of stuff, getting out of ropes, pushing back gates. His is a story of, I don't want this boundary. I don't want this restriction. But boundaries are blessings. Some of us have been sold a lie that absolute freedom is the way to go. That's a lie too. Because absolute freedom, without any sense of boundary, can lead us to disaster. Years and years ago, when our son was three, he's now 33... We were on an airplane and he got bored. So he decided to wander down to the front of the airplane and try to open the emergency exit. There are warnings on the door, written in red. Danger. Achtung, for German toddlers. He put his hand on the red handle. I know he couldn't open the door, at least I hope not, but I decided to intervene with my awesome parental skills. I said, Richard, step away from the handle. And he looked at me and asked that question that three-year-olds are all obsessed with. Were you on the plane? (laughs) 
Why, Daddy? Why? And I search for some subtle way to communicate with his fragile three-year-old mind the implications of that which he was about to do. I said, Richard, if you open that door, we'll all be sucked out to a hideous death. (laughs) Yes. And he said, why? (laughs) Do you know, he had this look in his eyes as if to say, Dad, you're boring. The movie was dull. The food was lovingly prepared by a demonized chef. I just want to open the door. This looks like a lot of fun. What's the matter with you? But you see, I know what was behind the door. 36,000 feet up. And some of us right now, you're seeing that story in your mind. You're going, bless their hearts. Aren't kids cute? But we are actually, as adults, going, why, Daddy? Boundaries are blessings. Boundaries are blessings. Thirdly, people rarely fall. People rarely fall. They tend to gradually slide. Then she said to him, Delilah said to him, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I've been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head was shaved, my strength would leave me, and I'd become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he's told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands, Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And here's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. And his strength left him. I don't think most people wake up one morning and go, I think I'll have an affair today. Yeah. Maybe that happens occasionally. I think what happens is a gradual, systematic erosion When Christians get involved in inappropriate relationships, did you know that very often they pray together, talk about the Bible and Jesus before they do anything bad? She understands me. We talk about God. The eyes linger, the heart connects, and then gradually the erosion takes place. Are some of us in that process right now like the ocean lapping away at a rock. Just gradually. It's happening. People don't often fall. They gradually slide. And then fourthly, addiction is fueled by denial. Addiction is fueled by denial. Sometimes checkout time never comes. Look at this. Then she called Samson. The Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before. Let me just change that for the purposes of this. I'll check out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. We're living in a culture where we're almost encouraged to not take responsibility. We have to be taken care of all the time. I I go through the coffee shop drive-thru and I get my drink and it's 
my cup informs me that this drink is hot. I know that. But the idea is you haven't got to take responsibility for yourself. I've, I've seen some fabulous labels on food. Um, one label, these are real, I didn't make these up. One label, it said, this pie will be hot when heated. <laughs> well, that's kind of good to know that, isn't it? Just checking the label here. Okay. A label on the underside of a pie said this, do not turn this pie upside down. <laughs> Label on nitol sleeping pills, sleeping tablets. Warning, <laughs> may cause drowsiness. Yes, yes, that's the idea. A label warning, a warning label I should say, on uh, Christmas tree lights. These lights are only for use Indoors or outdoors? As opposed to what? The idea is, don't take any responsibility. It's somebody else's fault. I wonder how many of you recognize this particular piece of music. I want you to know that the temptation just then for me to play air guitar was almost overwhelming. <laughs> the Hotel California, you can check in any time you want, but you can never leave. If we don't face up to our challenges, we set ourselves up, not for a late checkout, but for never leaving it. It's not just a song, it's a reality. Number five. Number five is what we play with can make a plaything of us. What we play with can make a plaything of us. Samson is captured. They, they gouge out his eyes. They, they, uh, they harness him to uh, tread out grain, a humiliating thing. And then it says this. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. I read that word performed. I thought, what kind of show did he put on? Hey Samson, you got any, got any jokes? Any stories? You want to do a little dance routine? Broadway favorites? The word perform here in the Hebrew is letzahek. It's the same word that is used in the Joseph and Potiphar's wife episode when she accused him of attempted rape. The word suggests that Samson was forced to perform in a depraved, erotic show for the Philistines. He has made sex a plaything all of his adult life. And now, 
is making a plaything of him. Puppet on a string. What we play with will make a plaything of us. Well, the last thing is this. Don't say I'm not hurting anyone. Don't say I'm not hurting anyone. We represent Christ for good or ill. Look at this. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. They are celebrating, these Philistines are celebrating, they're worshipping this Western Semitic grain god called Dagon. You see, Samson's testimony is pointing the Philistines away from the true God and deeper into their occultic behaviour. What he has done has contributed to their deception because people look at the people of God and draw conclusions sometimes that are negative. I was talking to a friend who used to work in the restaurant business recently and he said when he worked as a server at a restaurant, he said, in our restaurant, we hated Sundays. I said, why do you hate Sundays? He says, the Christians. The Christians show up and they... They had, had a bit of a struggle getting out the parking lot, so they're a bit tetchy. And they sit there in their nice clothes and they tip 10% and leave a, a tract, a piece of religious literature instead of some cash. Ladies and gentlemen, shouldn't it be that restaurant servers look forward to Sundays? Because the Christians are coming and they're kind and nice and, dare I say it, generous. People judge God by looking at our behavior. Well, there is one final conclusion because Samson draws towards the final few moments of his life. When he was with Delilah, he mentioned God. That's interesting. But the word that he uses to describe God is the word Elohim which was a name used of God in the Old Testament. But it's a very generic name. People of other faiths would use that word too. It's a bit like a kind of vague, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm into some spiritual stuff. I'm into some spirituality. Vague, non-specific. Then, He knows he's in the final, the final moments of his life. And he makes a decision to check out of vagueness. And in what is a difficult story, frankly, he cries out to God in the temple of Dagon. And he cries out, Adonai Yahweh Elohim. Oh, Sovereign Lord. And he dies. He checks out. 
But he doesn't just check out a life. In that final moment, he checks out of this vague thing. Cries out to God. And he dies and his friends and family come and get his body. And you think that's the end of him. We won't see him anymore. And according to some commentators, the verdict is, idiot. But then, in the New Testament, he suddenly appears, at least by name. Where is it? It's Hebrews 11. The story of the great people of faith. Well, you, you expect to see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. No surprises there. You expect to see them. And then it says, Samson, what? What? If I had been on the nominating committee for Hebrews 11, I'd have said, um, we've, got a, we've got a few issues here. But you see, that says something about the nature of our God who does not define us by our worst moments but celebrates us in our best. Does that, give us a, does that print us a license to be foolish and just sin anyway? Of course it doesn't. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. But this magnificent God named this frequently idiotic rascal and placed him in the hall of faith. Let's pray. Lord, you are amazing. And we sometimes are not. We pray that in these next few moments, Lord, that history will be made. We believe that as we receive your word, we believe that as your spirit is at work, we believe that choices could be made here that will prevent a family from exploding, a marriage to be shattered, that you are going to do something magnificent because you really are magnificent. As we reflect on the truth that what happens in Gaza or Vegas doesn't stay there. Make us aware, Lord, of consequences. That boundaries really are blessings. Where, where erosion is setting in. Maybe we, we've already stepped over the boundary. Maybe we, we haven't specifically fallen yet, but we're on the slide. Wake us up. Help us to not deny what's going on, but to face it, that we might check out from that destructive pattern. We don't want to play with things that will make playthings of us. And we want to represent you well. I'd like to ask that our heads, every one of us, are bowed and our eyes, every one of us, are closed. 10.59 and for some people in this room this is a historic moment I say this thoughtfully 
this is a junction moment in your life. Some of us know that we are pressing against the boundaries. Maybe we've already stepped over some lines and it's time to check out from that destructive pathway and pattern. With every head bowed, if you know that's you, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand and hold it up high for two seconds and then put it down. Thank you for your courage. Lord Jesus, as we celebrate the Hebrews 11 God, would you come to each one, many of us today, making momentous decisions? Would you come to each one? Would you meet us in our good choices? Would you, Lord, by your Spirit, nurture the seed of the Word that's been planted today so that we won't go out of here and suddenly just drift back in to that destructive pattern? Give us wisdom where perhaps we need professional help. But make history, we pray. Mighty God. We give you praise because we find ourselves in the love of God today. We give you praise because you are for us, not against us. We pray it again. Let this day be truly historic for many. We agree together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.